Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is Tent Talks Podcast, and I'm your host, Stacy. and we've got Kimberly on sound production and editing. Well, we're stepping into almost the autumn equinox. Day and night are becoming equal. And for some people, they're feeling this like wave of relaxation, I think. For me, I would describe it as I'm sort of settling. And there are other people whose anxiety is increasing because they're thinking about, oh, no, it's almost winter. The holidays are coming. There's a lot of pressure this time of year. But for some people, just the mere presence of fall sort of curbs that intensity of summer and sunshine. And that's kind of where I land. I really like this middle ground of equal day and night. I love as we're getting more cozy. And I think the reason that I love the cozier fall, and sometimes I even love winter months. I mean, I'm not like a winter person, I wouldn't say, but I think that I like this time of year generally because I think about community and I think about like what our ancestors were doing throughout winter months and how they survived and how they made it. And I really think that it was through community and through small gatherings and through quiet evenings with loved ones, like laughing around a fire or having more or less a potluck because rations were, you know, you may have bread, but you're running low on meat and somebody might have a ton of meat, but not, you know, their bread or whatever. And so I think about these images and this imagery of sharing your harvest, sharing your rations, gathering community efforts. And I think the sad reality of our current society is that for some people, this time of year is so isolating that summer and spring offers access to outdoors and to group gatherings. And I think that's sort of something that we could learn from our ancestors is that these months ahead are the time when we do gather more and when we do lean on community more for support. And especially through like things like co-regulation, when we talk about how important it is to have people around you to borrow their nervous system, to have those mirror neurons and find regulation and safety in the group and the collective. And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but that's something that COVID really stole from us was our ability to feel safe in community and feel safe in the collective. We had a lot of barriers to that. We were isolating and there's still parts of myself. And I know this, as I've talked to some of my people, there's still these moments when there's something inside of us that doesn't quite trust the community experience. We're holding parts of ourselves back. We may initially go into it feeling relaxed and calm and trustworthy, but there are parts that come up that fill us with dread or anxiety, and we can't quite name those. And I've been thinking a lot about that and a lot about these concepts of 
of individualism and collective movements or gatherings and even like individualism versus systemic approaches. And I've been thinking about that as I've been really trying to move towards different goals in my life, but feeling like I can't achieve them. And this is something that often comes up in the self-help world or the healing world, where if you just do enough work on yourself, you're going to thrive. But systemic approach comes in or systemic injustice comes in and it teaches us something different that the individual cannot conquer the system. And I think it's a very rare thing that an individual could conquer the system. But if we are taught and conditioned to believe that the individual can take on the system, then that individual will be busy their entire life trying harder, trying harder, trying harder. And so in today's episode, what I really want to talk about is individualism versus collective consciousness, but how that has showed up for me in not only, like I said, looking back to ancestral healing and thinking about what has helped us survive up to this point, but I think we're hitting a real breaking point as a collective where we can't do anymore. Our dollar can't stretch any further. We can't work harder. There's just certain things that we can't do. Like minimum wage really has to increase. The cost of living really has to go down. People really need healthcare access and help. And the cost of education and especially higher education is just too high for most people. And that debt just isn't going away. There's no amount of working harder to erase that. There just needs to be some systematic approaches to help relieve all of this suffering because it's actually the system that is holding us hostage. But the rhetoric and the voice behind it is still teaching us individualism. Like just try harder, be better, do more, manage your money better, all of these things when the math just isn't mathing. So I want to first talk about this from a healing approach, because of course, that's a lot of my background is helping people in their bodies and in healing. And that can seem really vague and really big, but most of it is that there's things that we struggle with and wounds that are really deep inside of us. And those wounds, they show their ugly head. And sometimes they show up in the body. And sometimes they start controlling or influencing our life really heavily. Like let's say somebody has an abandonment wound. Sometimes that just shows up everywhere. And finally, when their world is crumbling, it's also showing up in their body and their body's starting to show signs of stress and decay and wear and tear. And so when I'm working with people, we're really trying to look at the system as a whole. Like we're taking into account what's going on in the past. 
Have you had this injury? When did it start? Is it reoccurring? Was it brought on by a situation or a change or something emotional? Or when you have an episode, how long does it last? How long is it reoccurring? We ask a lot of questions to try to get to more information about what's going on. And even though massage therapy or energy healing is not psychology by any means, there's so much overlap that I've had to become well-versed in psychology terms because our trauma is stored in our bodies and things come out through our tissues. And when we learn how to speak and how to work within the framework of our body and heal, then we can move forward and gain momentum in our life. And what can become exhausting about this is some people are on a perpetual healing journey that never ends. And it can kind of feel exhausting. And it feels sometimes relentless. Like, if only I could do this. I've got more healing to do. And it just takes all of their time, their energy, their attention, and their efforts. And they're always working on something. And to these people, I just want to say, I see you. And I love you and I also am you in a way because this is something that I do. I support people through healing. So I know a lot about it and it's a big part of what I study and how I do spend my time. And at the same time, there's a recognition that there's only so much you can do by yourself. At some time, your body needs to rest. You need to have a different experience to show you more information, or you need to involve different specialists. But there are some people who are constantly listening to podcasts, reading books, attending workshops, going to individualized sessions, going to um, therapy, getting every treatment done, and they're just hoping to finally arrive. And there is no arrival. And there's been this meme like running around on social media and it's like, you're not healing to break free from trauma. You're healing to be able to like withstand joy or to be able to live in joy because your body's used to trauma, but it can't maintain the energy of joy. And I really feel like that's so true. We're, we're so used to running around from thing to thing and being in reactivity and pinging back and forth from thing to thing. And so this trap with self-healing and self-help can feel so exhausting because we do want to feel better and we want to do better. And why do we want that? Because we want to be able to sustain the feeling of joy. And I think that the only way that we can really do that is through community and through help and through others. And I remember my earlier years, I grew up as a Mormon, very, I feel like it was very orthodox, very fundamentalist. And part of Mormonism is 
monitoring even your very thoughts. Are my thoughts clean and pure? Are my actions, you know, representing and aligning that purity? Am I doing everything possible? There's like a checklist and you do everything on the checklist. And by doing all of those things, you secure your place in heaven. And so being raised in a Christian household with these ideals sort of gave me the framework and the foundation to really believe that it was through the individualism and through my efforts alone that I would be saved. And there was a little bit about, you know, like this idea that I'll be saved by a savior. There, there is that. But it, it really is all about you and your individualistic experience and how you're going to make it to heaven. And maybe you make it to heaven and your family doesn't. One of the biggest hardships growing up was thinking about, like, why would I want to go to heaven if the rest of my family can't be there? And this idea of individualism versus collective narrative was plaguing me even as a child because heaven isn't heaven without all of us. Like you can't just be isolated in this palace of gold and marble or whatever the idea of heaven was if your people aren't there with you. But I can see that kind of narrative and why it's being pushed because people stay busy when they're working on their own salvation. They think in terms of themselves and it keeps them very busy. Well, the same thing is true with capitalism. We're being sold that same story. Never mind there's people who are in charge of companies or just sitting on boards of companies making millions and millions of dollars while there are other people who are working so hard 12 hours a day and getting paid minimum wage and barely being able to afford housing and food. And the disparity is real, but we're still telling people, well, you've got to work harder. You've got to practice your finances get more control over that and really budget and use coupons if you need to and start accounts and put money into those accounts. And you're just not smart enough to understand how the rich people are doing it. And so there's all these books that teach you how to think like the rich and how to invest your money like the rich. And what we're really avoiding when we're having these conversations is that some people, aka the the very few elite rich people, it's an exclusive club and it's probably an exclusive club that they're born into and that they've never had to make a choice in their life that really affects their wealth in terms of like, they're always going to have it. They can mess up as many times as they want. They can use their money in whatever ways they want because there's actually so much of it that they could really never run out of it. So this story with capitalism about it being your fault if you're poor, your fault if you're struggling, 
your fault if you can't be thriving. And actually, so many books, so many workshops, so many things trying to teach you the rules of wealth and how to make it. And the promise of capitalism that says any person can rise to the top and they can break out of their situations and they can break out of their class. They can change their life. That's what capitalism offers. And what we're learning as we're entering late stage capitalism is that that's mostly false and that really only applies to a very few narrow niche of people that fit very specific terms. Does that even apply? Because for the majority, how capitalism works is oppressing several for the benefit of the few. And that's sort of why capitalism works is because there's all of us working so, so, so hard getting paid nothing so that these billionaires can live richly and wealthy and lavishly. And the trick of it all is the same trick that happens in Christianity, this trick of the individual self rising above, defeating the evil. It's the trick of the self-healing and the self-help. You're just going to heal yourself totally so that nothing will bother you, no more ailments, physical or emotional. And it's the same type of trap that's in capitalism. You're going to rise above the poverty by learning the rules of the wealthy and escaping oppression. And sadly, that's just so not true for the majority of people. And what's happening now at a really global level And definitely at a national level, I see this happening is people are realizing it. They're waking up. They're waking up to this deception. And the only way that we can break through onto the other side is by breaking this illusion down and then helping each other. And so we're going to circle back around in part two of this episode and talk about some ideas about still seeing things from this point of view of individual versus the collective and the individual versus the system, trying to find ways to break free, to liberate ourselves, and to gain some perspective on how we can do that, and really just discussion points, honestly. So... Anyway, I hope you'll stick around for part two. Thank you for your attention and for listening to the podcast. If you like this, give us a like, give a share, leave a review, help us with the algorithm. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time on Tent Talks.